Greetings, everybody. I'm Dr. Mark McGranahan from A to Z Pediatrics in Caseyville, Illinois, welcoming you to episode six of the Witch Doctor podcast titled Back to School. My partners and I, that would be Dr. Jean Wagner and Dr. Lori Eberhardt, and our pediatric nurse practitioners, Claire Fearcob and Melissa Hill. None of us are actual witch doctors, mind you, but we do practice Western scientific medicine with common sense and straight talk and occasionally some compassion. <laughs> so our, our topic for today is, oh, and I almost forgot, um, the comments on the podcast are of a general medical nature and not meant to treat, diagnose, et cetera, et cetera, any particular child. Um, if you have any questions, please call us at 618-345-5437 or reach us through the after-hour service or our patient portal. Um, see, look at all the ways you can get a hold of us. Isn't that nice? Okay. Now that we've dispensed with all of the pleasantries, uh, let's get into the, the meat and potatoes of the podcast. Uh, so it's that time of year again, everyone. Um, we're getting back to the morning routine, school lunches, homework, fundraisers, practices, band, everything, right? And um, so th sometimes that can fill parents, I think, as much as the students with dread. On the other hand, uh, stir-crazy children at this time of year may just need to return to school. That might be just the thing. So, I don't know. Whatever way you look at it, it's it's a big transition. And that's the point of the podcast is things to think about and uh, maybe some actions that we can take to smooth our kids' transition as we go. So the the single most important thing I'll, I'll just hit first, and it's going to sound familiar, but... We cannot overemphasize the importance of this. Sleep, 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 okay? It is, I'll tell you, the more research that comes out year after year, and, and the, just it's incredible how important sleep is for everybody, especially for children, students in particular. So sleep hygiene, when we talk about that, we mean our approach to a good bedtime. And that includes getting a regular bedtime, so a good a good routine. You know, if your kids go to bed at 8 o'clock or 8.30 or 9 or 9.30 or 10 every night, whatever it is, um, having them go as regularly as possible is important. Now, I know during the summer, and, you know, you, you do things and you see people and you go places that you just don't normally do, and it's fun. It's fun for the kids to stay up. I mean, everyone remembers that, right? But also, I think it's really fun for the parents not to have to worry about it, too. So it's, it's kind of nice not always being the bad cop or the heavy, you know, when it comes to enforcing bedtimes. But all that comes to a screeching halt during the school year because we know that regular bedtimes, predictable bedtimes, uh, benefits the human body and the mind even more than the body. Some other things you can do to facilitate timely sleep onset is avoiding exercise for 60 minutes prior to your target bedtime, and also no screens at least a half hour, at least 30 minutes before bedtime. The um, intense sensory input, including the light wavelengths in the blue part of the spectrum that are found in these uh, screens, even with the, the you know night shift and all those other kinds of uh, color-changing programs in the evening that you find on the tablets now, it's still a very intense, bright sensory input. So the only thing that you should be doing a half hour before bed is, you know, maybe you know, reading a book or just talking with your family. Or if you're going to use some electronics, maybe just a Kindle screen, which 
you know, is not backlit, you know, it's front lit and it's very dim. It's like an e-ink screen, something like that. So if you're reading, then that that's not going to count as a screen. Uh, but any kind of bright tablet, even if you're reading a book on it, it just doesn't work very well when you're a ch when you're a child. Now, dads, we can fall asleep in a thunderstorm if you turn the TV on. Okay, that's a unique talent that fathers have. Children developmentally they're just not in that place they really have trouble falling asleep when there's when there's screens so please turn those off i'll just add about sleep so that's the mechanics and the general importance but um, one of the things that i always ask when i see kids for an evaluation for school troubles is uh, in fact it's the first thing i ask is how are you sleeping you know are you having irregular bedtimes poor sleep hygiene are you snoring uh, do you have restless leg problems because sleep deprivation looks for all the world like ADHD. You can make kids have ADHD symptoms simply by giving them sleep deprivation. So I think knowing this, it's really easy to see why all this is important. Okay, number two, homework. You know, having a routine time and space is so important. A routine schedule, uh, time of the day, where you do it is important, but also having a routine space that's set aside for it. That's, that's quiet and well-equipped, is it's really important. It gives kids a sense of ownership and predictability that, that's underrated. So, so please do arrange that for your kids. Next thing is uh, the, the return of school is a return of a bucket of stressors, okay? For parents, but more so for kids. And what I mean by that is obviously the expectations of the teachers, peer interactions, bring a lot of anxiety performance anxiety, social anxiety. You're looking at, at paying attention all day and, and participating in class, getting good grades, um, whether it's on homework, big projects, tests, uh, sports. You know, how do you get along with your coach? Uh, how do you do well in terms of your athletic performance? What are the social relationships on the team? Same thing in theater arts, in band. You know, and then you put all of the, that, including kid and teen drama that you interact with during the day. And now let's throw in some social media, shall we? You know, you have several apps you're using, all of which kids generally feel the need to, number one, keep up on. And then number two, deal with the implications of the posts and things that they see on there emotionally and socially and things. So a lot of, a lot of things add up to a bucket of stressors, uh, a lot of anxiety. So please, parents, just let's be aware of that. Let's be aware of not only the drama that goes on, but the, the need that kids have in this generation, thanks to the technology, of monitoring the drama and, and propagating it after school hours. I said in a previous podcast, I think, but gosh, you know, when I was a kid back in the 1970s and 80s, we left school and we left people behind. If they didn't call you on the old Ma Bell telephone and you didn't answer, then you didn't have to deal with these people anymore. There wasn't any stress, right? Well, there was stress, but, but you got a break from it. You had some physical distance and some emotional distance, and you maybe got to recharge your batteries before you went back to school to confront a bully or to confront someone who's, who's teasing you or ostracizing you or you're having a conflict with or what have you. But now, you know, these, these folks that are posting all manner of stressful things on social media, they can reach out and touch your kids with their posts 24 hours a day. So really limiting screen time and social media access, encouraging your kids to minimize the number of accounts they have and the amount that they look at them is really, really important, really important. It's, it is.
a lot of risk and not nearly as much benefit with social media accounts for young people and i think for adults too quite honestly there are some good points about it but but on the whole uh, if you look at society and the level of stress we have now versus even 10 years ago i think i think one of the main uh, triggers is clear and that social media i saw an interesting study today actually in the wall street journal and it looked at the benefits of parents volunteering at their schools so this is a prescription that I'll give you, one that my wife and I have tried our best to to have filled, so to speak. And it's it's volunteering at school. There are multiple research studies over multiple years, including some very recent ones that show that kids whose parents volunteer at their schools, whether it's being a, a room mom or a room dad or coaching a team or you know helping with a fundraiser or monitoring the lunchroom, I mean, what, whatever opportunities there are at school, chaperoning field trips, these sorts of things. That kind of parental involvement and parental engagement results in better grades for all age groups, better peer relationships for students in middle school, and, and this is very important, lower rates of depression in high school students. So the, the theory for why it works is obviously just close parental child relationships, but also something that the experts in the field call um, academic socialization. So it's basically parental presence and the process of discussing your kids' academic goals and when they get older, you know, their, their values, their character values, and also their future plans for their education and their career. And that lends a sense of support and stability to the kids. They may not realize that's what's happening, but they feel it. The impact is there. So, you know, volunteering at school is, it's a good thing to do in general for a whole variety of reasons. But um, for those of you who thought, gosh, I'm doing this work at school and, you know, I've got my other, I've got my job. I'm, you know, doing things at home. I'm taking care of the kids and I'm a you know, a chauffeur all over the place and, and everything else. And, and uh, you know, how much, how much is the school volunteerism? How much does it really help my kids? The answer is a lot and probably a lot more than we think. So please go ahead and do that. Uh, and if you're already doing it, great, keep doing it. Next, uh, and, and finally, my partners and I, after school starts every fall, in addition to, you know, emergency sports physicals and, and all that kind of stuff, we see a lot of kids in uh, late September or through October and November who are presenting with issues that have arisen from the onset of the school year, you know, whether it's anxiety, whether it's academic difficulties, uh, inattention, impulsivity, things like that. And as we know, there's a whole host of things, a whole variety of things that can cause school difficulties. Not everybody who has problems with attention and impulsivity and things uh, has ADHD. A number of the children with these symptoms do have ADHD, but a number of them don't. You can have a lot of things like um, sensory processing disorders, uh, learning disabilities, anxiety disorders, a whole bunch of stuff can present the same way, that is with academic difficulty. So there is a role for us to see the kids and to assess the history, both at home and at school. And then very often, uh, we will go ahead and um, recommend what's called psychoeducational testing. And that's a very good, thorough process of, of looking at how your children learn, how they think, 
uh, see if there's uh, any evidence of issues like ADHD, processing disorders, learning disabilities, all those sorts of things. And then also the process looks at mood, uh, looks at their emotions, and, and kind of rolls that all into one large report. Uh, usually a couple weeks after your day of testing, you, you come back and have a conference with a psychologist and go through the report top to bottom. And it's a really wonderful process. It's doing things the right way rather than doing like two little five-minute questionnaires and slapping a diagnosis on someone. So this is a recommendation from the American Academy of Pediatrics. And also we, we all, all five of us at the office wholeheartedly endorse it. So um, the point is that, that, you know, when you come and see us, we'll talk about the educational history. We'll rule out any uh, organic causes for what we're seeing. And then we may very well recommend the psychoeducational testing. So let's look, look and see how they're doing, checking in with them and their teachers uh, very frequently. You know, how are they managing their time? They have good study habits. And if, if you're starting to see things slip, you know, whether it's uh, emotionally, in terms of emotional regulation, whether it's late assignments, whether it's, you know, feedback from the teacher, all of these things are really, really important and, and good to evaluate early. Uh, and I think when we do, uh, we're going to have a really good result. So there we have it. Talked about a lot of things in this podcast, uh, a little bit longer than we usually do, but I think it's, uh, I think it's good. We talked about sleep, uh, good routines for homework, some of the uh, anxieties and stressors that school brings, uh, the role of social media, and also the value of parents volunteering at school. So good luck, everybody. We're still kind of in the thick middle of uh, school and sports physicals, but we are always around and will be around for the rest of the year to deal with any problems that come from school and try to really smooth the kids' educational experience, you know, and, and, uh, and their self-esteem. It's so, so important. So we look forward to partnering with you as needed. And as always, please call us uh, at the office or reach out through the uh, portal if you need anything else. So this is Dr. Mark McGranahan signing off. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you.